Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Ernie and Joe, Crisis Cops, is an intimate portrait of two Texas police officers who are helping change the way police respond to mental health calls. The film takes audiences on a personal journey, weaving together their experiences during their daily encounters with people in crisis. These two officers, and that's Ernie Stevens and Joe Samaro, are not your everyday cops. They are part of the San Antonio Police Department's 10-person mental health unit. And with that, I'd like to introduce to uh, our audience the director and producer of the film, Ernie and Joe, Crisis Cops. That would be Jennifer McShane, as well as Ernie Stevens and Joe Samaro. To all of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike, for having us. Thank you for being here. Uh, Jennifer, this is a relatively new field in terms of policing and community involvement, getting to know the various constituencies within uh, police jurisdictions has been a priority for a number of years. Uh, But this is relatively new in terms of dealing with people with mental health issues or in health crisis. Tell me where you heard about it and what sort of prompted the, uh, the making of Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops. I I heard about it through an article that a friend had written about San Antonio as a whole kind of innovative approach to jail diversion and mental health and issues related to law enforcement and mental health. And I was, um, that's where I first kind of saw the mental health unit kind of featured in, in that article. I was very intrigued. And I think the reason it really spoke to me so strongly was my last film, was about five women incarcerated uh, in a maximum security prison in New York State, Bedford Hills. And that film followed these women over about four and a half year period um, as they tried to parent and mother their children. And what became very clear to me during that whole research and production was how many people behind bars are suffering with some kind of serious mental health challenge um, or untreated illness or trauma, lots of different issues related to mental health. And it was just became very clear to me there was a real connection between mental health and who we're putting in jail. And so when this work in San Antonio came to my attention, it really resonated with me. And I, I went out, spent some time, met Ernie and Joe and some of the other officers, um, initially without a camera, just to get a sense of the work and have them have a sense of my kind of style of working. Um, and very quickly... I was convinced it was a story I really wanted to tell and that these were two amazing characters to kind of try to tell this complicated story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, before we get to uh, Joe and Ernie, was there any sort of institutional resistance to someone coming in with a camera because this is still kind of an an emerging um, technique in law enforcement? Did the... the, um, the, the management in San Antonio Police Department feel some trepidation about you being there to film the work, or how did that how did that unfold? You know, I have to say um, it, they were really great great about it. Um, the access was quite good. They were uh, terrific. I really I have to say they were very open to um, me following, and and I did come back again and again for quite a long time. So I, I was very impressed that they were so open. Uh, to it. I think most police departments and cities are not handling 
mental health crisis and law enforcement in this way. And I think San Antonio realizes they're on the right track and feel good about it, which I think makes it easier to kind of be open and receptive to someone uh, following you. So um, they were great. And my last, you know, my last uh, film was in a maximum security prison. And my one before that was in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So I'm used to, you know, being in places that don't want you filming. Mm -hmm. Um, This one was surprisingly, um, you know, not very open. I was kind of happily surprised. Well, I'll start with uh, Ernie Stevens. Uh, Ernie, how did you get into this unit? Were you a uniformed, I'll say, regular police officer before this? And sort of what attracted, if so, what attracted you to being in this unit? Well, you're absolutely right. I was a uniformed officer. I had been on the department, oh, right about 11 years, maybe. And uh, I worked the night shift from 10 at night until 6 in the morning. And it happened to be my day off when the supervisor asked for volunteers to attend what was called crisis intervention training, which I had no idea what it was. My, My friend at work, who I worked with as a partner at the time, signed me up to go to this class because you were able to attend a class during the day and you would be off at night and then have the following weekend off. So, you know, in theory, it sounds really good to take these trainings. Um, when I returned to work and I found out what he did and what the training was about, I almost had a stroke because um, I was the last officer that you wanted to respond to your house if you had a mental health crisis. And I say that because I had no knowledge about mental health. I received no training. Uh, really, the only thing I knew is what I saw on television or what people told me about mental health. And uh, I was, I was, you know, aggravated, you know, to, to be attending this class. However, uh, attending the class opened my eyes and listening to a family member come in on a Thursday and she talked about her son that had mental illness. That, that's what changed my career path right there was this one person's story about her son and the fact that she said to a group of police officers that one day one of the officers might have to come to my house and you may end up shooting and killing my son. And I want you to know that if that happens, it's okay because you don't understand what I have to go through and I want you to go home safe to your family. And it was that statement right there from that one person that really fueled the fire to, you know, try to get a mental health unit started, try to do something within the department uh, to assist not only her, but there were so many more people out there that had those same concerns. Yeah. I mean, talk about powerful. That is, that's a cry for help in the, in the guise of, of, of sort of um, acquiescing to what would have may have been inevitable. That's quite a, quite a, quite a dynamic uh, to hear in such honesty in that as well. Wow. Joe Samaro, you have a military background. You've you've come to this uh, to the police department uh, after military training. Is that do I have that right? You do have that right. Yes, sir. Was it? Did you feel like police being in the police department was kind of a natural extension? And did choosing to be in that career did that feel like you had some of the skill set that you would need as a police officer? And again, correct me if I'm overstating what I my presumption is. No, no, not at all, and I, I appreciate the question. Honestly, it was it's one of those things where most military veterans, especially if they just do their standard four- or five-year contract, and they go from 18 to 22 or 23, uh, for me, I went four days after high school graduation to boot camp, 
and I was in from 2000 to 2004. And so obviously 9-11 happened in 01, and that kind of redirected my military trajectory. And I had two combat deployments after that. So when I when it came time for me to get out, I didn't have a college degree. My, I guess, experience really only uh, was in combat-related techniques, uh, survival stuff. It's really difficult to find a job as a 22-year-old without a college degree and limited life experience. And so, sadly, that's why so many end up in law enforcement first responder roles. Um, I found out eight years after being on the department from my therapist that this was the worst profession I could ever end up in. Um, but I was like, yeah, that's great, except <laughs> I already have eight years vested. So, um, But I understand why. And so, yeah, it's one of those things where it makes most sense. Uh, it seems to be a natural transition, uh, but I think we have to be careful with that because I think that in itself is kind of what's led to the problem, some of the problems that we have and this, at least the optics from public that law enforcement are these paramilitary organizations, which, which I don't agree with. I really, I mean, I agree that it's a real thing, but I absolutely disagree that it should be a thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I really think that we need to, there should be a stark difference between what the military does and what law enforcement does within our country. And I'm just going to editorialize just a little bit here and say that it has been the perception, I think, on the part of law enforcement that that people coming out of the military are a natural fit. And that's part of the culture that your presence and this film is in some ways an anecdote to, to what that, and just what you described. Right. I think and and some of this is public policy in the sense that armaments coming out of Afghanistan, Iraq were repurposed into uh, our into our uh, law enforcement and our first responders uh, uh, arsenal, if you will. That's probably not the best word to use, but in the inventory of things that they can use in their in their job. And I think that sort of institutionally and culturally reinforces the notion that you just said we shouldn't be having. Totally agree. And I, and I think, sadly, too, Mike, it's a, quick, it's a catch-22 because I also attribute the fact that because I am a uh, combat veteran, I have a real differentiator in the fact that they have essentially tried to prepare me or train me uh, for this combat that is not going to happen. And, and so the parallels between law enforcement training and military training are very, very close. The difference is... In the military, you get deployed and you go to combat. In law enforcement in America, you, regardless of what you hear or see, there, there's just there's not combat happening. You know, there are some issues and there are some, sure. you know, riots and dangerous things, but it's just not the same thing. And so, I can. That's what allowed me to relax. Is like, hey, wait a minute. I've actually been in these life and death uh, situations, and I've yet to experience anything remotely close to that in San Antonio, Texas. Right. And part of that is there is, there is a, either it's by mythology or and or solid examples where on occasion there have been military-style confrontations between bad guys and the police department. That's without yep. question. We had one in yep. L.A. 15 or 20 years ago. Literally, it was a combat zone. So it does happen, 
but the instance is certainly sort of an overreaction to something that is so rare that uh, has to be almost uh, not even a, a factor. But, well, Jennifer, I want to go back to Jennifer uh, McShane and and talk about sort of uh, establishing the rapport that you had with Ernie and Joe and, and how that sort of plays out in the film. And first of all, they have such a wonderful dynamic, the two of them. They're they're similar, but I mean, they're 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 familiar with one another, and they and and uh, but they're very different people, and we're able to kind of see how that plays out in your backstories. And I certainly uh, certainly with Joe, you have a remarkable backstory, which we're not going to get into too much because I want people to see this film and be as surprised and as as I was by all of the things that happened. But establishing the rapport with them and that comfort level, because uh, and you're you're in the back seat, and I will ask you about your safety concerns, but. Let's how to establishing that rapport um, when you started to work with them. Yeah, well, I think it's kind of key to everything, really. I think the the trust that a filmmaker has with their subjects is kind of the foundation of the whole project, really. And you know, my goal is to tell a very authentic story, and it has to be their story, not my story. So the idea is that I I want to be have them be as relaxed and comfortable and have us kind of observe as much as possible within reason. And um, that, so that first visit when I went to San Antonio without the camera and just spent some time in the car was actually very, very helpful because I think you're not distracted by the camera and the crew. You can actually just spend time as people. And it became very clear pretty quickly to me uh, that this was the story I wanted to tell. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the director and producer of the film, Ernie and Joe, Crisis Cops, and that's uh, Jennifer McShane. And also we're here with uh, Ernie Stevens and Joe Samaro, the uh, the subjects of the film. The film is opening here in Los Angeles on November 15th. It'll be opening at the Lemley Monica Film Center. And so there are some scenes in the film, uh, Jennifer McShane, where the there's an element of danger. And there's certainly things that, uh, you know, could have gone either way. And at times there are some firearms involved. What sort of your precautions or did, did you, how did I mean, how does that play out when you're in a situation like that? And now you had described earlier how you're familiar with your you've been around some pretty serious situations in the past but was that ever a concern for you in filming you know honestly i mean i think maybe initially when i was first thinking about planning it out maybe a slight bit but once i spent any time with them i was able to kind of pick up on the fact that they are very confident about the work they do and they're very smart about how they do it um so i actually felt very comfortable but having said that i was always a very very safe and respectful distance away from the interaction that they were having. Um, not so much for safety, although that was obviously part of it. I, you know, I, especially for my crew, I really didn't want them to be in harm's way, but uh, mainly because I didn't want to ruin the rapport that Ernie and Joe were developing with the person, which is the whole point of the film. Right. So if I were to kind of put ourselves front and center, you know, that would have ruined that moment. So again, it's about trying to tell their story, not my story. Right. So I, I kept far as far back and um, our sound and camera were amazing in that situation because it was it was awkward, you know, as you can imagine, because a lot of it was doing from distance or the back of the car and that kind of thing. Right. And I, that, that question, I sort of had some trepidation about even asking it simply because these guys are so good at what they do that even you know i just for sort of from the point of view of the audience watching but you guys are able to diffuse these situations so 
beautifully that uh, I, I, I just wanted to sort of put it out there that you, you guys do what you do so well. And I'm going to ask, I'm gonna ask um, Joe, are there techniques for you in terms of putting some, some safe distance for your own well-being in those situations? How do you, how do you sort of coping techniques in, when doing that? Well, how do you do it? Yeah, so I would I would say that since we've been doing this so long, you know, we've picked up on certain things and different uh, trainings that we've been through or sat through with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. You know, we used to just because we didn't know any better, right? Ignorance comes from a lack of education. And so we would refer to somebody as uh, a schizophrenic and say, like, uh, that, that that's a schizophrenic and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Well, they've said, hey, that that is not a schizophrenic. That's a person with schizophrenia. And so it's a very, very small difference, but it means the world, especially if you're the person being talked about. And so I think we have to be very mindful of the words that we use, especially when it comes down to identifying other people. And so individual, I think, is a safe way uh, just to identify as someone as they are who they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as coping, I think that's an entirely separate thing, which is very, very important. And um, honestly, it was a struggle for me in the beginning because... I really would find myself attaching to certain individuals. Again, if, if, it's easy to connect with people on a human level, but certain people you relate to differently. And I can tell you, like, if I was dealing with a Marine Corps veteran, uh, it, was, it, it, would just, it would linger a little bit longer. And I would hold on to hope a little bit longer, or maybe a little different, than if it was just a complete stranger that I didn't know at all. And, and that just comes from familiarity, right? Yeah. So, so I think when, when it comes down to coping, that's why for me, I think I can't stress enough the importance of therapy within not only our profession, but really everyone's profession, yeah. but especially in law enforcement, because if we, you know, we're told in our trainings not to bring work home, not to bring home to work, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really, really unfair to believe that we have these emotional switches that we can just flip on and off as if we're not human beings. And to think that we're not going to bring work home or we're not going to bring home to work is incredibly unfair. And I think it sets an unreal expectation that then we don't know how to, we, we struggle with it because we don't know how to reconcile, like, hey, I'm struggling with this call that I dealt with today, or I'm really wondering how this person's doing. But my peers would tell me, why are you worried about that? Like, it's just one call at a time. Just get through it. Uh, don't actually emotionally invest in these situations. And I think if we're not willing to emotionally invest, then we're not actually willing to help out because we're just trying to get out of the situation instead of helping someone get through a situation. All right. Ernie, I know you went back to school, college, you got your degree. What is your coping sort of what, what's on your palette of ways in which you, you kind of get through this? Well, you know, when, when you see the film and, yeah. You're going to see my attachment to my faith. Um, I'm I'm very grounded within the church that I go to and my family. I come home, and most days I'll discuss the day uh, with my family, with my wife, and you know she'll she'll help me get through it. Other times I'll discuss it with other members of the church, or you know know how to compartmentalize it to a point to where it's not going to uh, be there to haunt me. You know, now there are those calls that. Uh, still bother me to this day. You know, there's some things I've seen that I wish I could unsee, and that's not going to happen. But uh, through the most part, and for me personally, it's always been about my faith to help me get 
not through just each day, but through each night also. This is such a powerful film, and it's powerful for all the right reasons. It's powerful because it's intimate, it's honest, it is uh, life in, in real time with these people that we see. And it's also, for me, someone who um, feels like there are instances where the police do such a uh, thankless job at times, but other times when you see the sort of the bad results, it feels like there's a mentality that police in certain situations have to win that situation. And I understand all of the reasons why that would feel that way. In this film, it feels like you, there's also opportunities where everyone can win in a situation. And sure. that's what comes across. And uh, um, my heart goes out to you both for what you do. Jennifer, for letting us know about all this. The law enforcement community is better for it. And, I'm, and it, it looks hopeful that this is the kind of uh, philosophy, culture, that is hopefully spreading across all the law enforcement across this country. I, I is that how it feels for you, Jennifer? Well, that, yeah, I think it's slow but steady. I, I do think it is the future. I really do. Uh, but I think every community is going to face it a little differently and deal with it a little differently, given what their resources are and their individual issues. But I, I do think we're headed in the direction where we need to be thinking about human connection and dignity and how we're treating each other yeah. um, in all cases. So, yeah. um, And I, I, I would say for anyone who wants to see the film in the theater or watch it on HBO, to maybe watch it, Go either go to the theater with friends or other people in your life, you know, see it with other people because I think there's so much to talk about afterwards um, that it, it can, can be a great tool for kind of bringing up things that maybe people aren't talking about with each other. Yes, thank you. It, the HBO screening, it start. It, well, let's. we want them to go to the theater. Yes. <laughs> so yes. we oh, definitely yeah. want them to go. So uh, <laughs> let, let's start there, and then it'll come up on HBO. And if you have HBO, you'll know what it is you will, or you won't know what it is. <laughs> so, but uh, go to the theater, the, to, in, in this case in Los Angeles at the Monica uh, uh, Film Center in Santa Monica there, the Limley. And one very quick question for you, Jennifer, uh, and well, just anyone wants to chime in. Has has the unit seen your film? Has their the the yeah. uh, San Antonio? Okay. Yeah, the other officers, and actually now they're up to thirteen or sixteen in 13. the thirteen now in the unit. There were ten when I was filming, and you know the nice thing about us having our premiere at South by Southwest was that Austin is about a little over an hour, about an hour from San Antonio. So most of the officers were able to come at some point and see it. And, and Ernie and Joe were able to be at every screening. So that was just a terrific way to launch the film. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you all for being here. The film is called uh, Ernie and Joe, Crisis Cops. And we've been joined today by the director, producer, Jennifer McShane, as well as the subjects, Ernie Stevens and Joe Samaro. To all of you, uh, all the best to your to, to you moving forward in your lives, and uh, congratulations on what you do. So thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thank thank, you. Thanks so much, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.